everyone to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. And we're live. Here we are. Uh, it's a uh, another fun day in podcast land. My name is Eric Wright. If you're uh, already a listener to the Disco Posse podcast, welcome back. If you're fresh uh, and you jumped in, uh, we've got a fun subject today. Hopefully, you're going to love this as much as I do. I'm like a, one of those weird folks that throughout my career, I've touched a lot of, of frameworks and products and communities and this literally is the culmination of three of the greatest things in that sentence. We are going to talk about community. We're going to talk about framework and really, really a, a neat project that I've, I've, I've seen in passing. And I got, I got it kind of reminded to me uh, recently. So with that, we're going to introduce, I got a couple of great folks. I've got uh, Jeff Sullivan and Paolo Aruda who are joining me. We're going to talk to me about something called Fast Ruby. This is Fast as in F A A S. That's right. Functions as a service uh, for Ruby. This is pretty crazy. I can't do it justice uh, to the full explanation, so I'm going to ask the folks to introduce you. So, Paolo, if you want to tell us about yourself, where we can find you online, and then the same thing for Jeff, and then we're going to get started talking about Fast Ruby and, and what it does and where it came from. Uh, hey, uh, thanks, Eric, uh, for having me on the podcast. Um, I have a background in, in DevOps and uh, development with Ruby. Basically, I've, I've been doing this kind of things for the past uh, 15 years. And uh, folks can find me uh, on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at PerudaNet. So, and, uh, and I am Jeff Sullivan. Um, I'm helping uh, Paulo and Fast Ruby out with kind of the community growth side of things. And I've been in the infrastructure space for about the last six or seven years, um, based here in Canada. Um, and in terms of community in the past, I have been uh, focused on, on the early days of, of OpenStack and helping organizations kind of navigate that open source landscape and understand how to uh, get some value out of it. Um, and then more recent years have been uh, working with the Tungsten Fabric community, which is a component of the Linux Foundation and helping grow that community as well. So really happy that Paulo and I kind of cross paths and I can kind of take some of that experiment, experience around um, helping grow communities and apply that to Fast Ruby. And you can find me online on Twitter as well at sullyvg2 that's s-u-l-l-i-v-g-2 nice yeah that's it is kind of funny uh you know we've we've met jeff uh you know through openstack i think we probably we interacted kind of before we even got a chance to meet and it was funny we just before we started recording we talked about cloud a and some of those early openstack things and it's it's really neat to see that as an industry, we will we'll bump into familiar folks throughout our, our times. You know, community is such a great connector of people. And, and what you find is people that come at it with a focus like you've, you know, I know you've, you've got such a great approach, Jeff, and I've all got a huge respect for, you know, you really think about how to get 
good people enabled in order to bring value through open communities. Uh, I love that approach. It's, it's such a beautiful merger of, of why I love open community. It's not just about, hey, I love tech and I love nerding out on stuff, but also what's the value that we can bring through this community together to then make it something that's, you know, a bit of a, a product. It's a weird thing. I always hate that because at some point you're really, you're selling the value of what you're doing for free, you know, but you're like adoption is what you're selling. And then as a result of that, it kind of self-fulfills the, the growth of the, of the market. So anyways, I, I, I could go on and on for hours on, on how awesome Jeff is. And, and Paolo, this is our first chance talking. So tell me about yourself and tell me about Fast Ruby. How did this, how did this get started? And, and what's kind of the thing you've, you've chosen to tackle with the project? Yeah, the story is kind of funny because um, I always had this serverless, um, you know, I always had like interesting serverless. Um, and about two years ago, I thought about building a platform, but uh, uh, I just really didn't have the time. Um, but then in, it's funny because in August of 2018, company I was working for was going under and I had some uh, free time. So I decided to just tackle it. Um, after I saw uh, there was an online petition um, on Git, uh, I think it's called um, We Want uh, Ruby Serverless. It was basically a, a petition uh, to ask for cloud providers to uh, adopt Ruby as like a native language. And then I was asking myself like, okay, so why wasn't that done yet? Um, so then I decided to just build a little uh, proof of concept just to understand and I was pretty surprised because uh, um, I was running those on like five bucks a month digital ocean uh, droplets. And with two, two of those droplets, I was able to run like a hello world in, in like half a millisecond. So then my conclusion is that um, the adoption uh, of Ruby by those uh, serverless platforms wasn't tech, was, had nothing to do with like technical problems or anything like that. So. I built the, the, the first version of it and then I decided to put it online, you know, uh, just to see what uh, people, you know, would, would think about it. And, but then the response from the community was awesome. Um, yeah. And I'll be able to talk more about what happened throughout the podcast. A big shout out to DigitalOcean. I'm a big fan of of the all the folks that are there and and really watching their evolution as you know from droplets to now like multiple managed services that they have. They're really doing some neat things. So I'm happy to see that they're they're growing because it's tough running your own public cloud, not a friendly environment. There's obviously a couple of big competitors in that space, so it's kind of nice to see and. And especially, that's right, shout out to Jeff and our fellow Canadians who, you know, we also have distinct needs for Canadian regulatory boundaries and, you know, seeing uh, DigitalOcean, actually, they had their, they have a Toronto region and, and other folks have kind of jumped in and said that there's, there's lots of stuff going on. CloudOps from Montreal also, I'm a big fan of, of them and they've got some neat stuff going on. Uh, Jeff, how did you bump into to Fast Ruby? When did, when did it suddenly make it to your radar? So I was introduced to Paulo um, via uh, one of my old bosses, actually. Um, and Paulo had run into him through the industry as well and kind of discussed the project. And then this old boss of mine kind of played matchmaker and said, hey, look, 
you know, I, I think what Paul is trying to do here in terms of of growing um, this ecosystem around Fast Ruby and Jeff, your background in, in helping grow these communities, I think it might be a good fit. Um, I'm certainly not. Uh, I'm not a hands-on technical person by any means. You know, my my value in in the community space is, you know, writing and, and producing content and helping make connections between people within the community. But it really just became a good fit, and you know, we've been working on it. Uh, and and trying to grow it together, so I, I'm I'm very gracious that uh, that that former boss of mine uh, made this connection, and uh, and we've been a good team so far. And the value that is it's it's often under you know under known like like it's it's not it's not brought to the front as much as it should be about you know bringing new community projects to the to to the world is not just about technology like obviously it's amazing like paulo did something really cool technically but if you don't tell that story and bring it to the broader audience and make adoption easy then it's tough right it's it's funny that even the greatest things will eventually sit unknown uh you know so we've got to bring that audience to them make it easy to consume so you've you two together and, and what the rest of the community has done with fast ruby specifically is really do a great job of here's what we're doing here's the problem that we solved here's how we did it technically and here's how you can use it whammo right like it's zero to i'm using fast ruby in a blog post and it's it's really really cool to see and also again i'm i'm happy because like you said paula ruby didn't get as much love as, as some of the other as some of the languages and some of the other frameworks. I uh, I always sort of laugh at reasons like, hey, if it's not written in Go, it didn't happen. You know, there was a weird period for like <laughs> the last couple of years with like the whole world's going to be rewritten in Go. I'm like, no, 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 it's not. Uh, that'll wear off. <laughs> and I'm not that I'm detracting what Go solves as a specific problem, but everybody immediately went to this thing of like, it will replace every language. Like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So how how did you how have you found like people digging into what what functions as a service and serverless is? Do you do you find that over the course of the projects that people kind of more get what it is? Like, is there a lot of timing to the market that really helped you grow the project? You think? Yeah. So this this whole thing is pretty new. Um, one 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 thing I forgot to mention is that uh, last year. Um, what also inspired me to go ahead with this was that I saw a digital oceans report on uh, serverless adoption and it was still pretty, um, it was pretty low, but you know, they, they thought that 2019 would be a, a, a year that we would see a lot of growth and, and apparently it's happening. So they are right about that. Uh, but it's still pretty new. Like only the, only the people who are uh, really following this uh, closely uh, the early adopters, I'd say, um, are really uh, in, into that kind of stuff right now. Um, but yeah, there, there's still there's still a, a huge market out there, for, uh, especially from big enterprises. You know, the, like those folks are, some of them are not even in Docker yet. So it's uh, it's 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 like a it's a big uh, learning curve, I'd say. Yeah. Hey, wait, Docker didn't destroy virtual machines. Just the way that. <laughs> That serverless is going to destroy servers and like, whoa, no, this is the, there, there is such a great, like it, as a whole portfolio, you're going to have bare metal, you're going to have virtualization, you're going to have cloud, you're going to have containers, you're going to have, you know, serverless, uh, bringing it all together is good. And it's funny, like you said, 
the people that know it's here are, are loving it. The people that aren't maybe ready for it haven't gone to search for it. So it's always neat to see, you know, how far ahead of the curve you are and, and but still like pulling it in. I've seen a lot of projects die on the vine because they, they were really great technical solutions, but they didn't have enough of a business ability to adopt it. But it feels like you're at the right spot at the right time that you, you did it. Like you've, you're creating that right, right time in a way because of, of the projects matured nicely. Uh, what are kind of like the key things that people have been able to solve like that, that drove Ruby as the reason why it was a framework that, that you needed to solve? Um, so I guess that uh, I, I will start this answer by saying that uh, a lot of the current adoption of serverless um, is, is around uh, connecting different pieces like uh, writing glue code. So you need a, you need to grab data from one server and push to an, uh, one service and push to another service. Uh, people have been using it for that. And also um, background processing. Like if you, if you need to uh, do some heavy lifting, uh, like encoding video files or stuff like that. So a lot of the use cases have been around that. But my idea when I started was to actually okay so can we make can we make this uh, can we make a tool uh, that will allow people to really build full applications um, you know using uh, serverless using more than serverless but using functions but basically um, so that that has been the the idea since the start and and to be able to achieve that we had to work with some really difficult problems like for example you can't really build uh, full applications if if your functions have code starts, for example. So um, we put a lot of work on that just to to make sure that uh, there's no there are no code starts, so the functions can be executed on demand uh, as fast as as fast as Ruby can be. And now, um, in terms of uh, adoption and what people are using it for. Um, They've been the people who are using right now. They've been still doing. They've they've been using uh, uh, for glue code and those use cases that I said. Uh, but that's also because we haven't released yet. But we are just about to uh, release the version zero point five, which will bring uh, fast Ruby local, which is our it's the other side of of our project because we have two pillars here. One is the serverless platform, but then uh, because we are focused on on the developers' uh, uh, experience, right? So we want to make it really easy for them to just sit in front of their computer, write code, and you know, and the code will be on the cloud, basically. So uh, we are coming now with uh, FastRuby 0.5 will bring uh, a full set of tools that basically you can develop. Uh, your functions you, you never really leave your 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 favorite uh, code editor you just write stuff there and it, w- it will detect what you're doing uh, and it will auto deploy things and to the cloud um, so your 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 app will be available instantly for testing so that's a that's that boom moment folks you just heard like that's that's cool uh 
Oh, Jeff, I can imagine you've got a big smile on your face and, and a sea of content you want to hang on the back of, of stuff like that. Like, how have you, how have you felt telling the story and, and like getting people excited about it has gone because of, you know, kind of where Fast Ruby has come from and, and where you kind of see the next pieces coming together? Well, so the first step was was really making sure that I understood this myself. Um, I've been, you know, very deep in the infrastructure world for the last few years, and and so you know, I've I've been very focused on that. So you know, of course, I've been following serverless and, and functions at a very high level, um, but I had to kind of um, you know get myself into a mindset of you know pretending like i'm a ruby developer and understanding the challenges that i face on a day-to-day basis and so um really now what stage we're in from a content perspective and in a community perspective is all around enablement right it's like paulo might have these great use cases in his head or maybe even i have some great use cases in my head about what you could use this for um but we need to we need to enable the community and the users um, to understand these things too, right? So that's a, that's a lot around tutorials and documentation and cool new use cases. Um, one of the features that, that Paulo released not too long ago is the concept of community templates where you can build a function um, that might have general purposes outside of your organization. You can put it in a public Git repo uh, and you can actually, other people can come and then deploy that function with their own, within their own workspace. Um, and we've actually had a, a couple um, users contribute their, their community templates back. Um, right now there's an integration for SendGrid um, and there's a pretty standard like email marketing landing page that another user put out there. So it's all about enabling the community to, to not only understand the value that they can get from this, um, but also give them the tools and the content that they need to be able to do this fast. Because, you know, if, if, if they're not going to have that, they're going to take a look at their project and they're, at our project, they're going to say, hey, this is cool. Um, but, you know, I just don't see that there's, there's enough to, to get me going. But really what we need to do is, is arm them with that information so it's, it's their time to value can be really fast. And, you know, we've seen it. There's a, a blog post written about us uh, not too long ago from an early user who told his story about how he was trying to deploy or how he was deploying um, Ruby functions on, on Lambda. And, you know, anybody who's interfaced with the AWS console knows that it's, it's not the most developer-friendly um, tool. There's a, there's a lot of options, a lot of products. Um, and he compared the same workload on FastRuby. I forget how long it took him on, on Lambda, um, maybe 20 minutes or so, um, but he, or maybe 30 minutes, actually. But I think he was able to do the same thing on, on FastRuby from not having an account to have something up and running in under 10 minutes. Um, and, and so it's, it's those stories that we need to be able to tell the community and, and, you know, the, the, the documentation and the tutorials that go along with it to, to help these people out. I like the, I like the shared community, uh, template idea. It's funny that early on when I saw Lambda, I'm like, this is great. This is going to solve a ton of problems. People are going to use it incorrectly for, and that's where it's going to grow the most, which is kind of always a weird thing. You're like, people are going to try and do way too much with this new thing. And, and it may lead us down a bit of a rough road before we realize what the like real use cases are, not the, not the like fun use cases. It's like, it's like VDI on an iPad. You're like, Hmm, that's cute, but no, <laughs> like, well, we can technically achieve it. Probably not a good idea. And the, so Lambda, what I saw was like, all these people were saying like, we're using it, we're using it like crazy. But no one, 
shared how they did it. No one shared code examples. No, it was, so I know that there's probably 200,000 of the exact same, like almost line for line written function out there that will never see the other 200,000 because there's no way to share that stuff. And so I, I really like that you've created that community template idea. Cause like, I agree with you, Jeff, that's get people using it, get people to see like how fast it is to, to make stuff work. And then we all kind of iterate on that and, and share it together. No, that's, that's not exactly it. it. Sorry, go ahead, Paul. Uh, no, uh, right. uh, so what, what I, want, I want to add to that is that uh, the whole point is that um, we, we want the developers to be able to focus more on, on business logic, right? Rather than, you know, setting up containers or, or, or you know, playing with Docker Compose or stuff like that. Uh, and if, if, if with templates, like they can basically uh, uh, imagine this ecosystem that, you know, oh, I need authentication. It's like Ruby gems, basically. You just, you know, you just go get the, the the authentication template that somebody from the community built and then you add that to your application, right? So that's basically the idea. Yeah, and the also, other thing I was... Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, the, the other thing I was going to add there too is that, um, you know, even though we might have in our mind some great high value use cases that we want to share with the community, um, there's also probably thousands of other use cases that we could just never imagine ourselves, right? Because, you know, we're building this product um, for a community, but that community is built up of, you know, thousands of people that work at different companies that have, you know, different things going on in their business. And so if we can't enable them to at least get started and start seeing little pieces of value early, we're never going to get to that point where we start to see these higher value use cases that um, that people are going to start developing and, and you know bringing into their organizations. Yeah, totally. And I want to talk about metrics for a second because you you've got tons of downloads. You've got really good. You've got it seems like people are really interested in coming to find it. And I'm always, especially Jeff, I'll call on you for this one. Remember the days of OpenStack and and watching like. We had tons of people talking about it, you know, however many stars on a project used to be a measurement of the success, you know, you would watch stuff get incubated. And then we didn't necessarily see the actual live business use cases. So while the developer community that built it was super excited, it, the actual enterprise adoption or like that level of adoption, which is really, I think, what will get you to the much bigger growth. Not that you can't grow well. But like, so if you want to talk about like downloads, adoption, you know, folks that you've talked to that really see that, I hate to say enterprise, like that's like, that's not the only thing that's going to make it big, but like, have you seen those use cases kind of play out? Yes. Yeah, so let's get back to, to kind of back in the September or October timeframe of 2018, um, before I was involved in the project. Um, Paulo had the great idea of setting this thing live for free and no sign up required and let's see what happens. And since that time, I think the last I checked, I think the gem has been downloaded a little over 7,600 times. 
And um, so as, as a person who comes to this kind of from a, from a, a marketing lens, which is typically what my day job is, that, that's an exciting thing to see that, you know, this, this adoption is going on. And, you know, we really don't have a ton of visibility into, you know, the individuals who are using it other than the ones who proactively reach out to us and collaborate with us and, you know, ask questions and stuff like that. But, you know, what this is, is, is giving us is, um, you know, insights into what people are using it for, some of the future use cases that they're considering using it for, some of which are personal projects, which is where I think it all gets started. But also, you know, once they get a couple personal projects on the go, they start to understand how they might be able to use this in a day job, right? So you've got freelancers out there who, you know, have a handful of customers kind of all the time that are starting to think about use cases with their customers. You've got those who might work at a, a dev agency or a dev shop or something like that, where they've got a little bit more customers and they can start to think about the different use cases. But now we're certainly starting to see, um, you know, larger organizations who really need to increase their development velocity that are interested in how this might be able to help them, you know, kind of remove a little bit of that operational complexity that sits behind like a developer's commit and when that code goes to production. And so, kind of how we're laying this out is we're going to have this free tier. Um, and, you know, to me, that is, that is a very important part of, of fast Ruby and, and getting people um, to value sooner. So we're going to keep that. Um, what we're going to come out with uh, uh, next is, is fast Ruby cloud. So kind of like a, a SaaS offering. Um, and then we're also coming out with a, a self-hosted option. Um, where a customer can actually deploy um, the whole platform uh, in their own VPC or in their own data center. Um, and that's going to be where we're more focused on that quote-unquote kind of enterprise crowd who wants to have a little bit more control over the underlying infrastructure and whatnot. So we, we've kind of built this, this feeder system where, you know, we've got this, this sandbox for people to come in for free, no risk, no sign up, um, and start playing around with serverless functions. And, um, and we're starting to see this natural progression as people get value there, they, they kind of, okay, let's, let's move into this next year and understand how I can get value there. So I think that's how we've kind of mapped it out. And I, that's kind of how traction has been, has been mapping so far. It's uh, it's almost that HashiCorp model, right? Like just get people digging the tool and all of a sudden you're like, Hey, we're going to extend the tool and here's other ways you can consume the service. So I like the idea. Paulo, uh, question for you on is, do you feel there's any risks? you know, of, of other folks loving what you're doing and then trying to do it themselves in their own, like uh, other frameworks. Cause I don't think there's too many folks, obviously Lambda big one, you know, as your functions, if you think of the big two, Google has their own bits there. There's a few other players that are in the, like there's open FAS and, and open whisk and, and different things that are trying to solve this. Um, there's fission, I think as well as the one from platform nine, none of them have tackled the Ruby side, what do you think about kind of other, how that would come into play? Maybe if other folks try and, and add Ruby into this thing, like I agree with your approach. How do you think you're going to be able to stay differentiated? Well, um, it would be surprised how many platforms are, you know, are popping, you know, every day. Uh, uh, I guess uh, 2019, it's a really hot year for that. So it, they're coming left and right. Uh, but uh, the vast majority is just focusing on JavaScript. And I kind of understand that because, you know, if you are um, a JavaScript developer with that, you're just a full stack developer, right? Because you can build your own backends. But um, 
I see that as a good thing. Um, the adoption is, it's still really small. And uh, the more people make noise about it, um, you know, the more, more uh, viable as an option it, it looks like. So, uh, but now how, how do I feel about other folks adding Ruby? I guess it just brings uh, the excitement. Look, ultimately, I love Ruby as a language, and uh, one of the goals of this project is also to to you know contribute and and make Ruby more popular and help push push the language forward. Um, so I think that if I think if other platforms start adopting Ruby, um, that would be a great thing. Yeah. Well, and and we've been we've been around uh since september um and i think we made a lot of noise within the ruby community so uh the, the i think the more people talk about serverless ruby um maybe our names will get it will go in their heads and, and, and yeah i think it's a good thing um but but the thing is um a lot of those 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 competitors are focusing on javascript um and and when when you focus on a on a language uh, you you actually you I don't know how they are doing uh, their platforms, but in our case, uh, I, I the design of the whole platform it really takes advantage of the the features of Ruby, right? So meta programming and, and all those things. Um, so uh, I, I guess to adopt to adopt Ruby um, um, just as you know one more language that they will adopt. I think it, they won't be able to 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 um, achieve the, the 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 same things that we are trying to do with fast Ruby, because uh, you you really have to use the features of the language uh, in order to create a, a good experience for the developers, right? So um, uh, does that make sense? No, totally. No, and it's it's funny. I think you just nailed it down right there. Like it's, I like that it's it's purpose built. It 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 goes towards. Uh, I'm a fan of Ruby because I I'm not a programmer, but it made relative sense to me. I I came to Ruby as uh, through the DSL of of Rails. Yeah, so uh, I worked at an organization and we brought in some new, a new developer, and he was a Ruby on Rails fan. Started doing tons of stuff with it. Uh, and then we hired another developer and, and both of those folks uh, have been people that I learned a ton from and I went from kind of like zero to being pretty comfortable on Ruby on Rails and building some some sites, building some applications and and I, it just it kind of made sense to me. So for non-programmers and for systems admins, if you want to jump in and try Ruby code, I find it's like a faster on-ramp relative to say like Python or, or getting into you know, C sharp or, or other stuff like, or Java and especially JavaScript. Uh, it also doesn't help that there's about 9,000 JavaScript frameworks. So <laughs> every time, you, every time you say like, how do I do this in, in angular? It's as easy, just like gulp this NPM, this install view, drop in meteor. And I'm like, that's those are two like you find yourself suddenly going way outside the lines of where your original problem was and now you're dealing with javascript framework management instead of how do i solve this problem using simple code yeah well and, and thinking about adoption too this is one of the things that i that i thought since the beginning is uh, the way to increase to accelerate adoption of of, of function as a service uh, uh, it's it's by focusing on language specific 
tools, right? Because if you want developers to jump in, they need to feel at home, right? They need to feel that they are familiar with what's going on with the tool and, and it has to feel naturally. Uh, it has to feel natural. Um, so um, uh, so I, I don't think I, I could, for example, write a serverless platform um, in Go that will, you know, for Go that will do the same thing for, for, for Go developers as, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing for Ruby developers with fast Ruby. So um, I guess language specific is, is, is it's key here because the whole point is to, is to create that good, awesome developer experience. Um, so I think to me, that's the way to go. I don't know, Jeff. Yeah, I, I think um, from a community building perspective too, the, the, the more specific you can kind of drill down into that community and understand, you know, almost the, the persona and the challenges that they have and, you know, what, what's going on, right? If we went out and said today that our community growth strategy is to go out there and help every single developer in the world with all of their problems, you know, that's spreading yourself really thin. Right, and you're going to see a wide variety of challenges and problems that might be specific to a geography or an industry or a technology. Um, but the fact that we're laser focused on the Ruby community right now allows us to have conversations because it's a smaller subset of the overall global developer community. We can understand their challenges, we can understand the trends, we can understand you know, any sort of technological problems or, or operational hindrance that these folks might, you know, might see. And then we can, then we can start to solve those problems with that community, right? And, and if somewhere down the road or in the future, um, you know, our, our community tells us that we need to start looking at supporting a new language or something like that, I would suggest that, you know, we take that same approach to it. And we, we look at a subset of, of the overall market um that have some some similar problems and you know work on similar things and and we can solve more specific problems that way right so let's really laser focus on this community let's understand it really well let's talk to them and let's build a model around that that makes sense for the customers and makes sense for fast ruby 100 percent. and i i the the first thing I, I want to talk to startup, you know, especially startup founders and, and folks that are like thinking about getting started with something, projects or, or communities, it's always that thing of like, what's the problem? What's your problem definition and work backwards from that. And it's very easy to get stuck in like, here are 17 problems that we want to solve. And, and here's the first like, no, no, no. What's the, what's the core problem? Core problem. Developers want to use Ruby. Second problem, they want to do it and not be, you know, stuck because of cold starts. You know, they've tried it on Lambda and it, it doesn't act like they expect it to. And so right out of the gate, you've you've tackled those things that number one, I know it's it's language specific. Love it. A second piece, you're solving a technical challenge that's existing today. Then the next order thing is, all right, well, now I can actually use my language and safely and, and quickly. And now I can look at, is functions going to solve my business problem? And now the developer is just, just building code and solving business challenges, which is wicked cool, as my friends in Boston would say. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um... And I just wanted to add to you that uh, we've been talking about Ruby here, but uh, uh, we have a, a, another addition to the platform, which is Crystal. So uh, uh, Crystal is comes in really handy 
um, be, because Ruby uh, as an interpreted language, it could be slow for some, uh, some uh, set of operations and uh, being able to deploy uh, functions in Crystal, which is pretty similar to Ruby, so Ruby developers could uh, easily pick it up. Uh, I think it's it's it was a great addition, um, and I can't wait to show you guys because like Fast Ruby zero point five will will bring a, a system that will auto detect that you want to create a function when you add a file. So say that you put a folder in your project, and then when you create a, a, a a file inside of that folder uh, called handler.rb, it detects that your intention is to create a function there. And it will initialize, put some boilerplate code inside of that file for you, and it detect the language and initialize the, the configuration file for that function. Um, and, and then um, set it up so you can auto deploy if you turn on sync mode. Uh, and the cool thing is that it also does that for Crystal. So with FastRuby local, uh, if you add a handler.cr, it will detect as a crystal function and it will turn on live compile. So as you are uh, creating your app or your API, or even if it's just one function, uh, you can, as you save the file, it live compiles it really fast and then you can just, it keeps the work, the, the good workflow, you know, if you're developing a web, web, uh, website, for example, you, it's it's a lot of back and forth refreshing in the browser, right? So, um, yeah, you'll be able to do that using Fast Ruby Local. You won't, we probably won't notice any difference uh, compared to developing something in Rails, for example. Uh, and the cool thing is that you can convert functions. So, uh, so say you have a, a function in Ruby. Depending on how you wrote that code, because Ruby and Crystal can be pretty similar in, in, in for some use cases in terms of syntax. Uh, so if you just rename that file handler.rb to handler.cr, it detects that it, you converted that function into crystal and then it, it activates all those, uh, uh, the, the live compiles uh, and the auto deploy uh, for crystal functions for that function. So it's really cool. I'm really excited about it. And I, I've been working on this for like, about a month now and uh, I, I really can't wait to put this out there to see what folks think about it. I, I also like the approach that you've got around, you know, automation is baked into how it's handled. Uh, so it's, it's, it's big and, and the scheduled runs and like being able to do that, it, this is such a, it's, it may seem like an out of like, doesn't seem like it would be that important, but if for folks that have used other uh, other function platforms or function as service platforms, like the biggest thing is you then have to you have to trigger it, and it, they say, well, it's easy. You can just trigger it with another scheduler. Well, then you've got to do it outside of the platform. So, uh, what was the was that kind of the driver why you wanted to build in the ability to do periodic runs, and then and you know how did that come to be, and when when do you think that was important to folks? Yeah, that was actually uh, uh, after, so right after I put the platform online, I created a, a channel on Gitter and then people started to join there and, and they were just, they were all asking, hey, can you add some scheduling, you know, because on Lambda we could just uh, use like uh, CloudWatch. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a way you can kind of cheat as like you create CloudWatch things. It's, it's such a, 
it's such a, a strange use of, of how it works, but I do it for like backups too. I would create like scheduled backups by creating CloudWatch jobs. <laughs> and ran yeah, on. yeah, yeah. And it's not easy to set this stuff up, right? So, and then I, and, and then I asked, I asked the, the, you know, the guys like, hey, okay, how would you like that? And then they, they wanted it to be like sort of like natural language. Uh, so I leverage a, a a gem, I forgot the name of the gem now, but I'm using a gem that allows me to translate natural uh, uh, language English basically into cron jobs. So, so then when you set up a function, there's basically, there's basically a, like a cron service in the platform that will um, trigger those functions for you, so. I wish every platform on earth would learn from your lessons, Paolo. <laughs> that, that, that could be the most, it's, it seems tiny, huge. I use this stuff all the time and I talk to people all the time and that's one of the biggest things is like you then, uh, you know, you want to solve one problem, use functions. Now I want to solve the second problem. Can I run it on a, on a schedule trigger? Well, now you've got seven problems because you got to figure out where to do it, now how to handle that one. Uh, so it's kind of funny. One thing I want to ask you about is what do you think are kind of the risks as people adopt functions as a way to, to solve problems? Like, is it going to be function sprawl? Is it going to be the lack of like, because we're using simply code, you know, if I have three great developers that are very functionally proficient in one language, they'll come up with three different, sets of code to achieve the same thing. Are there risks you think as we're gonna see the adoption grow in functions as a service? Um, I, well, it, it, it depends on, on the use case. Well, there's the, the, the repetition that you, that you mentioned, um, but also if you're, trying to, if you're trying to build the uh, full apps using separate functions, uh, there are some problems that come with it. For example, uh, there's the code start, you know, if you have it or not. Uh, and there's another problem that I think they call it uh, tail latency, if I'm not mistaken, which is if you have a, if you call a function and this function needs to call another function to get a certain value so it can do its own job, um, you, you could have like a bunch of functions calling, you make a request to one function and, and then you have to wait for all those network latency uh, uh, between those other calls that happen in the background, right? So um, to, in, in my view, a way to eliminate that, and, and, and that's what I put in the platform as well, is um, the ability of doing async uh, calls to those other functions. So for example, in FastRuby, uh, you can just uh, require a function. So I try to create a nice DSL for the user. So the same way you require a file, there I added a method that is require underscore function and then the function name. And then you pass a, a, a constant that you want to associate with that, with that call. So say that you say require function hello world as capital H hello, whatever. So then at any point in your code, you can just do a hello.call and it will just do a request. Um, uh, it will just uh, execute on the background uh, uh, request to that other function, uh, to the hello function, and you can pass arguments to it as if, so you, you, you're never really handling with HTTP requests, you know, you just, it feels like you're programming a, 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 like a, a big app basically, um, but then those calls are async, right? So 
when you do hello.call and say that you, the return of it is just like hello world, um, there is like, I don't know, maybe a, a 50 millisecond latency because of the network uh, to that call. So the idea is that uh, people have to start shifting the way they think and get more into async programming, which uh, um, JavaScript folks are probably more familiar with uh, than Ruby developers. But uh, the idea is that if you call all the dependencies on, on you know, as early as possible on, on your code, you can uh, do other things while you're waiting for those responses. So, um, and, and you know, and th there are other problems too, like, okay, how do you prevent infinite loops, for example, right? Um, especially when you're dealing with events, if you do event-driven event like uh, uh, function triggers, um, that, you know, you really have to monitor the, the whole chain of calls so you prevent infinite loops. So there are there are some problems uh, to be solved. The platform it still is in its infancy. Uh, some of those problems we have solutions, and and some others we uh, we're just really learning from the community. Well, and even just in the greatest any great language, any any of all the programming languages, it's a tool that can be misused or underused or overused. So there's always going to be those things and. Uh, so yeah, I, I appreciate what 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 you've kind of talked about there. Now Jeff is the is the I'll say the as the de facto marketer and you know community builder wrapped around this. What do you think is is your next hope? What do you want to see in in the next phase of of adoption and growth around what what were you doing at Fast Ruby? Uh, ideally, I would love people to um, start talking about their you know, successes with fast Ruby, even if they're small ones, right? And we're getting them to a, to a certain extent. Um, you know, we're like, like uh, Paul had mentioned on Gitter or on our, uh, our Slack channel or something like that. You know, we get some good dialogue and some good stories of how people, you know, solved X problem or Y problem. Um, but, you know, we think to kind of continue to move this growth forward, um, it's going to be really important that we get to share those stories. And so we're putting some mechanisms in place uh, or platforms in place so that um, these community members can, you know, tell their fast Ruby stories. We can help them tell their fast Ruby stories and how we uh, address some of the problems. Yeah, it's definitely the getting people to share their stories is one of the fun challenges of like you and I have faced this even in, in all the community stuff we've already done. It's like, quite often, especially when you're working for an organization, it's an enterprise company, and you want to say like, oh, we're doing this amazing thing. We're, we're, we just deployed Fast Ruby. It's driving a ton of, of stuff we're doing around this platform at, at this major bank. You're like, oh, no, I, I can't say that because we're not allowed to talk about what we use inside the bank because of other like weird regulatory stuff. It's, it's always this this trap of like the greatest users you get quite often can't tell their story. How do you... Have you found that has been a, a problem you bumped into? And how do you think we can get around that one? I've found that to be a challenge in every company, every tech company that I've done marketing at. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's just a, a legal hurdle that you, you cannot, uh, you know, pass around. Um, interestingly, like, so there's always going to be those cases where they absolutely cannot tell their story and that's fine. Right. So there's a certain, a certain amount, but, um, I find if you are willing to do most of the work for them, 
um, you will find that sometimes the no is more related to the effort required to tell the story than a legal reason. And so if you can go to a user and say, hey, look, you know, this use case we discussed, you know, over the phone or in Slack or whatever, I'd really like to be able to tell this story. I, you know, here's how I see the challenge and here's how I see the solution and this is how you put it together. This is the value that you've got. If you're willing to kind of go ahead and do a little bit of that work and get the customer to, you know, to, to, to help you make some changes or, or sign off on it, I find you get a, a, people who are much more responsive, unless of course they do have that, um, you know, if you're a financial services or an insurance company or something like that and you're not able to do that. Yeah, there's different stuff around the endorsements. Like, in, and I find it such a, I don't necessarily agree that I, I, I understand why they have to have it, but I, it's, a, it's very vague. And because it's vague, they just default to no all the time. But I'm with you. It's funny uh, watching like even my, my own company, you know, we're doing stuff with press releases. And you, if you go to a company and say, hey, you know, here's my part, my big technology partner can we get you to do a quote because we're doing a product release and we're including some stuff with you about it. It's always like a big tail chaser for three, four weeks. But like you said, if you go and you say, here's the quote that you're going to say, uh, do you agree with it? <laughs> and they, it kind of forces them to go like, yeah, it's good. Actually, can, I would say it a little differently. And they give you like a little tiny nuance change to it. But it's, if you go to them with the general, like, can we get you to quote? Well, we'll have to pass it through PR. We got to go to legal. We got to we got to make sure is that the director versus the VP and you know and and who else is going to be involved. Like it's it's definitely if you just say here's the thing that's great. Do you agree? Perfect. Uh, so that's that's its own battle. So the the other thing I would say about that too is that um, companies telling their tech stories, even if they are not, or even if they don't self-identify as a tech company, is becoming more and more popular. And if you go and look at the amount of enterprises or, you know, web scale companies that have their own development blog, where they just tell stories about all the cool systems that they run and the new open source projects that they built or new open source projects that they're using, there really is a trend towards this. And, you know, I've, I've not actually, you know, I've, I've asked a few individuals on why, what their motives are for it. And, you know, some you'll hear like, uh, we want to attract talent um, and, and stuff like that. But the other one that we're hearing too is that, you know, with this whole digital transformation buzzword that's going around, there are a lot of traditional organizations out there that do want to start telling their technology story and how they're evolving under the covers. And so I think if you can, you know, remove some of the obstacles for these people telling the stories by saying, hey, let me help you write it. Um, you know, I think you can, you can often make the case that it not only looks good for the project, um, but it also looks good for your organization and that you're, you're looking at how to use new technologies and you're looking into the future. Um, and, you know, I think that's something that, uh, you know, investors, customers, you know, external stakeholders um, can see a lot of value in. Definitely. Well, we're definitely, we're coming up to, to the close on this. I'm excited. I thank you very much to both of you for sharing, sharing what, where you are so far with it, how the project came to be. I'm excited about it. I, w I definitely will do what I can to share the story as well. So I'd encourage folks who are listening, check out, uh, it's at fastruby, F-A-A-S-T ruby.io. 
uh, dig in. I'm going to probably fire up a blog or two on it just to, to let people know a couple of quick use cases they can do to get started. Uh, and definitely I'll evangelize on your behalf. Just you, you both have, have told a great story and, and I, I love the problems that you're solving with it. I'm excited to see more of that. Paulo, uh, anything else that that the rest of the community or people that are listening can do to find you and, and to maybe help on, on getting involved? Yes. So um, uh, the platform, the, 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 the command line tools and, and the fast Ruby local that that part of the platform is open source and it's on GitHub. So if you go to github.com slash fast Ruby, you see uh, there's a, the gem, there's a fast Ruby CLI. So uh, if you, if you spot any bugs, just, you know, open an issue there. And, and if you're willing to help, it's more than welcome. Uh, you can also join our Slack. Uh, if you go to fastruby.io slash Slack, um, you, you just got it, it. That's the invitation link. So you can just join like that. Um, and we are also going to be at RedisConf on April 2nd and 3rd. Uh, I will be speaking there about the platform um, because the platform uh, is built on top of Reddit as well. So, uh, yeah. So if you, if you guys are around in San Francisco, just come over to Redis Conf and let's uh, have a coffee or a beer. Nice, nice. And uh, Jeff, uh, your thoughts on 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 how how we can help and and what you want to see next? Are you going to be jumping down to 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 share the story at, at Redis Conford? Are you are you like me and you're you don't get to go to all the fun places anymore? Uh, <laughs> We're so busy. So a weird one for me actually. I uh, my girlfriend and I have been together almost a dozen years and we've never gone on vacation before. So we booked a trip to Costa Rica that week. So. Uh, unfortunately, I will not be making it to RedisConf, but I know that uh, Paulo will represent us well, and uh, yeah, so so unfortunately, I won't be there, but uh, but Paulo will, and so uh, please look him up, and he's always happy to have a chat about functions. That's for sure. I think you just gave away possibly the greatest business he could ever have. You've been together for 12 years. You've never gone on vacation together. You are a master magician, my friend. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Now that's and congratulations to you on twelve years of of time together and and man Jeff it's been always been a pleasure to to hang out in the field and you know I, I was happy like I said we met at OpenStack days we spent some time talking together we've talked a bunch since then uh, a, a huge huge ups to you on on all you do for the community uh, Paolo same thing thank you very much for bringing this to the market telling the story and and keeping building and I. I will do what I can to evangelize on your behalf. Uh, so again, uh, Paolo, where do we find you online and how do we keep in touch? Uh, you can email me at paolo at fastruby.io or you can find me on Twitter at parudanet. It's P-A-R-R-U-D-A-N-E-T. Thanks a lot, Eric, for uh, the opportunity. And Jeff, where do we find you? On Twitter, I'm at SullyVG2, that's S-U-L-L-I-V-G-2, and my email is Jeff, spelled the weird way, G-E-O-F-F, at fastruby.io. <laughs> I like that self-admitted thing. I've, I've had a lot of Jeffs on friends on both sides of the spelling, and so uh, <laughs> it can't be a challenge. Well, thank you both very much for this. This has been a blast. Thanks so much, Eric. Appreciate thank it. You. You're listening to today's Cool Palsy Podcast.